Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Collateral Creatives, the show where we try to go into content that's not necessarily Christian to find characteristics of God or gospel messages. I'm your host, Austin Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Cheyenne Wyatt. And today we're going to be talking about a fun topic. I feel like uh, a lot of people have been waiting for us to touch on this specific industry. I feel like there's a lot of questions circulating uh, about this specific topic. Video games, but (laughs) but even more specifically than that, Assassin's Creed. So... How much of Assassin's Creed do you know? Uh, I've played, I think it was Black Flags, the pirate one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I played like the uh, tutorial of that <laughs> a little bit. Um, and then the like French Revolution one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that Unity? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I know names. Um <laughs> I played a little bit of that one and died a lot because <laughs> um, I kept running into like the guys on the. I kept running into the guys on the street mm-hmm. who you weren't supposed to run into, and I somehow ended up with like a mob of like twenty of them around me, all wanting to fight me. Yeah, it'd be like that sometimes. Yeah, but it kept happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the best at gaming. And I, I've i played in tournaments for a couple games, so I have a little bit of experience on you. There is a scale here with <laughs> Cheyenne on the one side, Austin on the other. Where do you fall, dear listener? <laughs> so today, the reason why we wanted to go into Assassin's Creed, it has a purpose. Uh, and it's mostly because I feel that this franchise will do the best job of displaying how you can find pretty powerful messages within other kinds of gaming content. Um, there's other franchises that I could think of that you could probably get something pretty good out of it, but I think Assassin's... He's a big fan of Halo. Halo is awesome. It's my favorite. <laughs> but Assassin's Creed ties in its story directly to the Bible. So... We're going to identify it. We're going to go through its history. And then lastly, of course, we're going to go through where we can find uh, the characteristics of God or gospel messages that we've been discussing for the past however many weeks. I think we're on episode seven now. I think this is seven. First and foremost, we're going to go through the history of it. And you may feel free to interrupt me at any time, Cheyenne. I know that you don't know quite as much as I do on these topics. But if you have something insightful, please do speak up. Assassin's Creed started in 2007 uh, with its first installment. Uh, It was released for the Xbox 360 uh, under the publisher Ubisoft. And the game was focused around you playing a character that was named Desmond Miles. uh, And he was going into a machine called an Animus. What the Animus does is it scans your DNA and then allows you to relive the memories of your ancestors by going through that DNA strain. And Desmond was a... He's a descendant of one of the greatest assassins of the entire franchise, a guy named Altair Ibn Lahad. Um, Altair was around during the Crusades, and Altair basically uh, had found this thing called a piece of Eden, which is like... A whole, there's a lot of plot this lines. This is where we that. begin to find the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is that is the the precipice there. Um, but 
we're gonna we're gonna finish up with the his, like the actual like plot of the game, and then yeah. we're going to go into the actual war. I think that's a good plan. Yeah. So Assassin's Creed One just kind of has you uh, playing as Altair and Desmond as you get exposed to the fact that they're that the Templar Order, the antagonists of this story, are still around, and they're trying to find these things called the Pieces of Eden, whatever those are. And Desmond prevents it from happening because he gets saved by the modern day assassins because this is a creed. Of course, that's why the game is called Assassin's Creed. It's about the Assassin's Creed. Um, and then Assassin's Creed 2 happens. I don't know much about the modern plot line because I haven't finished that game yet. But you follow a character named Ezio Auditore del Firenze. He's an Italian one around the time of the Renaissance. And you work alongside people like Leonardo da Vinci to stop a Templar order from rising up within um, within, I think it's Venice. And it's really funny because it's the Pope. The mm. Pope is the main antagonist of this. He's part of the Templar order and he has yeah. a piece of Eden. Um, this, this character Ezio is carried on through Assassin's Creed Brotherhood and Assassin's Creed Revelations. You kind of go through the three stages of his life. One, one where he's youthful, one where he's middle-aged trying to establish the brotherhood again and revelations where he's just an old man trying to find wisdom in life. And then we move on to Assassin's Creed three. That one is the game where you play as a native American assassin during the American revolution named Connor Kenway, uh, his actual native American name being Rakana Hayton. And uh, he's a really fun character to play. The story basically just has you, first of all, you start as a child. You're growing up as a Native American uh, before the revolution begins. And this character named Haytham Kenway, one of the Templars, uh, comes to your village to find the piece of Eden that's hidden in America and ends up having, like, and ends up sleeping with one of the women there, thus creating Connor Kenway. And whenever this man finds out about that, he sends his lackeys, one of them being Charles Lee, who is a Templar, which I found hilarious that they made Charles Lee Lee the bad guy. He was the main bad guy of the whole game, which is like the funniest thing. Uh, Charles Lee and his men burned down the, uh, the whole tribe and Connor sets out to get revenge. So he starts assisting the American forces after he gets trained to be an assassin by an old assassin that it was like the first American assassin at the time. Um, he gets trained up and he helps George Washington bring down the British forces. Later on, we got another game, Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag. Can I just say that this sounds like a really cool like way to do genetic testing? Like you'll find out you're Italian, you'll find out you're Native American. Oh, it's super like, cool. Cause like that's actually stuff that I think is still being explored right now. If it's possible for you to like figure stuff out like that where you can connect somehow. I don't know if that's even possible, but people are exploring it because of Assassin's Creed. Makes sense. Yeah. Cause like basically the way that the animus works is you plug in a person and they will just re-experience the memories of their ancestors because mm-hmm. of their DNA strain. Eventually when Assassin's Creed four comes around, that's when they start turning the animus into a entertainment system. So you can mm-hmm. get a TV with the animus built into it. It has pre-programmed events in history. Um, or at least this is what they were planning on doing. And it comes to fruition later in Assassin's Creed unity. Um, you have like this selection that you can choose from. And you just get to play as different characters uh, and live their lives. Assassin's Creed 4 has you play as Edward Kenway, which was just the pirate story, but it turned into something way bigger. 
because you play as a character named Edward Kenway, the father of Haytham Kenway, the father of Connor Kenway. Edward Kenway is a legendary pirate, and he kills an assassin to pretend to be an assassin and eventually just joins the creed. Yeah, so he's the dad of the guy who is the father of the one who's the Native American assassin? Yeah. Okay. And Haytham, Haytham Kenway. Sorry, because <laughs> keeping track of all the names, it's like Kenway... Blah, 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 At least they'll have the same last name. <laughs> yeah, which makes it more complicated to keep track of Sometimes, yeah. Because it, it goes like this. Edward made Haytham, Haytham made Connor. Yeah, um, okay. And Edward... <laughs> sure. Edward was able to discover that there are these things called the sages, which is like a descendant of first civilization people, which I'll explain later. Um, cursors. <laughs> <laughs> and his son, Haytham, eventually would betray the assassin's order and become a Templar instead. Um, but then we move on to the next game after Black Flag, which was Assassin's Creed Rogue. That one was focused on playing a guy named Shay Cormac, um, he was an assassin, but then he blamed uh, an accident on the assassin's order, and turned coat and turned coated into a uh, into a Templar, who then started hunting down the assassins because he was one, so he knows how to kill them. Uh, eventually, he ends up killing uh, a French assassin, um, but when he does that, it ties in directly to the next game, Assassin's Creed Unity, where the game starts at the end of Assassin's Creed Rogue where you're playing as this kid named Arno Dorian and you run, you're running through the hallways playing with this girl that you know and you come into the hallway and you find people crowding around a body and it's your father, the man who died that you killed at the end of Assassin's Creed Rogue. So now you're playing as that kid, that guy's son. Uh, Arno Dorian has to assist the Assassin's Order uh, during the time of the French Revolution, prevent the Templars from using the distraction of the French Revolution to find this thing called the Sword of Eden to gain power over France. And you get to participate in like the, uh, the charging of the Bastille, um, the defense of Notre Dame, all of that. You, have to, you get to experience all of that, and it's great. Mm -hmm. um, after Unity, after Assassin's Creed Unity, there's Assassin's Creed Syndicate during the Industrial Revolution, where you play as Jacob and Evie Fry, a brother and sister assassins. These two have to stop a Templar gang from taking over London. And, of course, again, more pieces of Eden. Then we move on to Assassin's Creed Origins, which has you play as a like one of the first assassins. He created the Order. Um, this was during the time of the Egyptians. And he doesn't really do a whole lot else. There's not much to that story besides just starting the Order. Then there's Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Honestly, I don't really know much about that. I just know it takes place during the time of Rome. And you play as a Roman assassin and it's pretty yeah, something cool. about mars hill yeah um and then lastly most recently we got assassin's creed valhalla which has you play as a viking assassin valhalla. it's it's a pretty cool one i haven't played that one either yet but it's interesting so assassin's creed story goes far beyond its games though um as usual with games or franchises in general that have these deep and expansive products there's a lot of background stuff so the way that this game ties into the Bible is intense. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Well, even just the way that it like ties into history, because like as you were listing things, it's just like, oh, wow, that's like moving through history and all of these different time periods so fluidly. Yeah. 
because Assassin's Creed, the way that it works, the way that it pulls in most audiences is that when it comes to creating the game, first of all, it should be noted that Assassin's Creed is an open world adventure game. So they have this massive open world that you can go and explore as a parkour free run assassin that can climb buildings and jump from ridiculous heights and fight really fluidly. And it makes you feel really free. And they try really, really hard when it comes to making these maps. With the first Assassin's Creed, they actually went out to the Middle East because this took place during the time of the the, Mm -hmm. uh, the Crusades. They went to the Middle East and just mapped out an entire city and then put it in the game and the pathways between them. Yeah. And then, like, ones that I've heard of with, like, uh, Notre Dame, Mm -hmm. especially, like, when it burned down. Yeah. Um... People have talked about how the most accurate model they have of it is actually from Assassin's Creed, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny, but also really impressive. Yeah, because when they wanted to bring the French Revolution to life, they needed to make sure that all the landmarks were as realistic as possible. So in Assassin's Creed Unity, what you can do, most of the buildings are open. You have like a massive city all to yourself. You can go in most of the buildings and Notre Dame is there. So what they had to do was they had to send out some scouts uh, to Paris and they had to they had to take thousands and thousands of the exterior and interior of the Notre Dame because you can go outside the Notre Dame. You can climb on top of the Notre Dame. You can go inside the Notre Dame. You can go underneath the Notre Dame into the like catacombs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so they have it from all angles and it's just like, that's really cool that mm-hmm. we, even though it's like burned down like we still have what it looked like yeah the file size is massive it's a really (laughs) really detailed 3d model of the notre and they're currently using it to rebuild it yeah um and then the other one is the other story that i know of is from a meme Mm -hmm. (laughs) um about like a school trip that people were on in italy and like they got lost the tour guide didn't know where they were which that's not comforting it's it's like that sometimes <laughs> yeah it'd be like that sometimes and all of a sudden like one of the kids in the group like kind of looked up and was like i know where we need to go like what church are we going to okay yeah <laughs> and just like starts taking them on this route that's like going through like back alleys and like kind of side streets and everyone's like well we're already lost so like how much worse can it get but he actually like leads them to this church that they're trying to get to and they're like have you been to Italy before (laughs) and he's like nah I just play a lot of Assassin's Creed (laughs) Mm -hmm. yep because like Assassin's Creed 2 is based only in Italy Uh, actually Brotherhood 2 Brotherhood and 2 are both just stuck in Italy so it's like it's just so cool the fact that they try so hard to perfectly map out these environments yeah and like be faithful to history Mm -hmm. and that's that's one of the best appeals is the fact that like when it comes to the Assassin's Creed franchise what they'll do is okay first of all I want to mention one other thing Assassin's Creed has been known to get higher grades in history like children in school doing history class the ones that played Assassin's Creed did better Um, and that's just because Assassin's Creed what they'll do they have three different elements that they'll do to make these games good the first one is the modern element you know you'll be playing as a guy that lives in the modern era or right now with our current main character uh, playing as her Uh, you'll play as either him or her just in the modern era just 
learning about what's happening in the current time, but it's not the appeal of Assassin's Creed. That's more just other Ubisoft IPs mm-hmm. like Watch Dogs. But then the second half of the appeal is playing as an assassin because, you know, you're playing as this like really cool uh, free running beast of a man or woman <laughs> that doesn't run out of energy, that has a vendetta, that is usually themed after like some form of uh, some form of emotion that you'll learn more about. Mm-hmm. Kind of like with uh, Altair, his whole thing was honor. Ezio, his whole thing was revenge. And then it was wisdom. Um, so you kind of just get those sort of uh, synopses. But then the final element was the historical element. So they wanted to make sure that if they were going to tell a story that took place in history, they wanted it to fit in history. They didn't want to just put the set piece in history and then not have it do anything with history. So what you'll end up having is things like, uh, like I said, in Assassin's Creed 2, you work alongside Leonardo da Vinci. In Assassin's Creed 3, you meet George Washington and he tasks you with taking out British camps. Uh, you just you get to interact with these characters that you likely wouldn't really know about or remember from history books as a kid. Like I remember as a kid, I actually had to do a history test about the American Revolution. And that's how I knew who Charles Lee was and why he was such a bad guy. Like why George Washington didn't trust him and all of that. He was a part of the Templars. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, <laughs> it was just so impressive. The fact that they did such an amazing job. First of all, giving these characters personalities that were really, really fun. So there's just like all these really cool things that were, that relate to history that do a really good job. But I, even though that is definitely the most appealing part and the most, I would say, educational part, it's not the most interesting when it comes to a Christian perspective because that's found in the assassins themselves. Because the assassins, just like the Templars, are very religious. They, Although they are more practical in their religion. But that has to do with the deeper parts of the lore of the game. As you may not know, <laughs> uh, this game ties in really well to the Bible, but mostly just experiences the Bible in its own way Mm -hmm. because it still tells the story of the Bible, but in its own unique universe that makes it really fun. Yeah. It's kind of like how it takes historical figures and then is like, Oh, you're an assassin. You're a Templar. Like it takes what's existing and then puts it in this world of fictions. So it frames everything in the narrative that it's trying to create. Exactly. And it fits really well Uh, within the lore of Assassin's Creed. The game, the story itself takes place well beyond whatever time we have recorded. It actually starts at unknown BCE. Uh, There's this there's these people called the Isu that created the first civilization. That's where they're usually referred to as the first civilization. They created the pieces of Eden. They created humanity and immediately enslaved them. And humans didn't like that too much. So. Adam and Eve <laughs> were the first humans to get to steal a piece of Eden, being the apple of Eden, which was the the tool that can be used to uh, trick and control people because it has mind control abilities. And they escaped Eden. And when they did, they eventually had Cain and Abel. And it's still the thing that Cain killed Abel, but it's because Cain wanted the apple to control people. And that's the funny thing. Abel was the person that started the idea of the Assassin's Order, and Cain was the one that started the idea of the Templar Order. So it's already at, at odds. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
Then we move on further. Joseph and the Coat of Many Colors. That thing is not called the Coat of Many Colors. It's called uh, the Shroud of Eden. And the Shroud of Eden has been used in the lore of Assassin's Creed all the way up until Jesus, who used it. Because what the Shroud can do is it can resurrect the dead and it can heal people. So (laughs) it's just kind of did stuff like that. Uh, It could also make you invisible. So that's another thing. And then Moses, he had what was called the Staff of Eden, and the Staff of Eden just did more crazy stuff. Like it could, it could create illusions. So the blood, and like the river turning red, never turned red. It just looked like it turned red because it was manipulation. Um, those sort of things, they just didn't happen. They were just appearing to have happened because of illusions. Uh, so stuff like that happens all throughout the Bible. And so from start to finish, the Bible does actually have like its own story from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It has its own rendition in the Assassin's Creed universe. So Christianity exists, but it's because we don't know about the first civilization as like a common knowledge thing. It's only known by the Assassins and the Templars. The Assassins and Templars have been at war with each other ever since the beginning of time, basically. And now they're still fighting in this modern day to try to control these pieces of Eden. The assassins want to protect the world from the pieces of Eden. The Templars want to control the world with the pieces of Eden. So it's just an ongoing battle. Now, one of the most important things about the assassins uh, and something that people actually quite often will relate it to scriptures, uh, our our scripture especially, is their creed. Because, of course, there's the Assassin's Creed. It's not just... In the title. It's not just like they thought that the name Assassin's Creed was cool. There actually is a creed. That creed being, nothing is true, everything is permitted. Now, that sounds kind of surface level, but reading into it makes it pop a little bit more. Such as, like, nothing is true. What that's saying is essentially that you don't really know when someone's telling you the truth. You don't know if you can trust anyone And you don't know if something is an illusion or if something is being told to you that is happening, but it's not really happening. And I think right now, especially, we're having a hard time figuring out what's real and what's not in terms of information because we're getting hit with constant news updates every single day. A lot of it being exaggerated, a lot of it just being headlines and no details. Mm -hmm. So So it's more like you need to analyze the world around you. Exactly. And that whole thing. Critically. Right. And that whole thing ties in really well with the first game because your grand master of the Cree, like the assassin's order, ends up being a Templar. And the other half of this equation is everything is permitted. And that is that gets a little bit deeper, but it's kind of the same. It's, it's just the opposite side of the same coin with it's that call to wisdom. Uh, it's It's got a reference um, from... 1 Corinthians 6.12, which thank you to Kaleco Media for pointing that out. Uh, I wouldn't have caught it myself. But the verse states, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So everything is permitted is basically saying you can do whatever, but you need to practice wisdom in knowing what you should be doing because not everything is a good thing for you to be doing. You're not, you could either do the greatest good or commit the greatest sin, as Kaleko put it. So nothing is true. Everything is permitted. It's just one of those ways in which that you can actually relate a really strong Christian message through the game itself. And it doesn't really stop there. Assassin's Creed has a lot of references and a lot of 
basically a lot, a lot of pieces of wisdom that come from many different religions, but quite a few come from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Most recently, we've been kind of getting more of the mythology stuff from like Greeks and Egyptians and Vikings because that's, that's the theme of the games. Yeah, that's the theme of the games, but the Bible stuff still maintains throughout. So now we kind of go into application. Yeah. So first off, do you think it's okay that they explain away miracles with like actual objects i wouldn't say it's okay or not okay okay i take that as artistic and creative license because it's first of all a fictional universe it's it's not real and they don't even they don't even try to say that this is how things went every time you start one of those games the first thing that comes up is all historical figures mentioned in this could potentially be non-existent. These games were made from multicultural environments and thus make no reference to the real world. Um, that sort of message will pop up every single game, even yeah. all the way back to the first one. So they're not trying to claim that it's true what they're doing. No. Which I think is important because it has the potential to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I... And if it does, like, that's okay. Like, you don't have to play the game. No one's going to force you to. And again, like we've been saying, you always need to have discernment. And like, if you're okay with it, like, and the next person isn't, like, be respectful of that. Um, Just like different people have different boundaries. And plus, Assassin's Creed simply has a lot of fun with history in that way, because like there wasn't an assassin in the Battle of Yorktown, at least not that we know of. But <laughs> in Assassin's Creed 3, when you're playing as the Native American assassin, you're in the Battle of Yorktown trying to escape the city being bombarded. So there's a lot of stuff that happens within the games that like, yes, it happened in history, but it didn't happen quite the way that the game is telling it. And plus they are clarifying that the Templars of this lore are a little bit different because like the Templars of our actual real world worshiped God and were just trying to force religion on others is a simple way to put it but yeah. they they were <coughs> they were trying to reclaim the holy land they were stuff kind like of that. they were brutal they were unorthodox and that's kind of why they were the most hated of like the other knighthoods mm-hmm. um but they didn't do a lot of the things that happened in the assassin's creed universe one of them being they don't follow just god they follow a character like God named the Father of Understanding. So they'll say, may the Father of Understanding guide us. So I think one of the applications that you can have with Assassin's Creed is that with all of these references and with all of the things that are different from the game and the real world, it provides a lot of talking points. Yeah. Um, I think probably one of the strongest ones, uh, Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood bring these both up, corruption in the Catholic Church. Sure, controversial topic, but it did happen. There was a lot of corruption within the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and you get to experience that in those games. So even though it's like a, a fake version of the, what the corruption was, you see very real versions where the Catholics are actually like running people poor through their tithe and such. Yeah. And I think that's also like a lot of the time what makes a lot of people hesitate to want to be Christian or like, you know, talk about Jesus is because they think Christians are hypocritical. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then also the like Eden artifacts mm-hmm. and all of the miracles and stuff. Um, talking about those could t- potentially also be a talking point at some point down the line. Like if you get into a conversation with someone, because you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, that's not actually how that went down. Like, you know how there wasn't actually an assassin at the Battle of Yorktown that we know of. <laughs> <laughs> you can be like, yeah, same thing with uh, Moses' staff. That's not actually how that went down either. And then you can tell them the actual story. Yeah, I actually have had theological discussions coming out of Assassin's Creed before. Uh, I have a couple friends. They aren't nearly as big fans of, of the game as I am, but I'm a huge fan of the franchise. It's my second favorite game franchise of all time. And with Assassin's Creed, the, the topics that we end up getting into with theology is usually how Assassin's Creed interacts with theology because Assassin's Creed carries its own way of looking at religion and theology. Um, especially given how you have religious figures in these games like the Pope. So we end up getting into discussions of what did the Popes really do? Um, what were their corrupt Popes? Yes, of course there were. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about them in our Christianity and Western culture classes. Shout out to Professor Pappendorf. Yeah. <laughs> um And we've gone into other discussions of morality, which is like a huge deal in the Assassin's Creed universe. Like morality is one of the greatest things that you have to worry about when Mm -hmm. you're playing the games, because there's a lot of things that end up happening where like a Templar will turn to the Assassins for help because they had a common stance at one point. So they're wanting to stretch that again or Assassin's Creed four, where you're playing as a pirate, but you're also an assassin. You have to figure out, do you do the things that are in the interest of your crew and your ship, or do you think do things that are in the interest of the order? There's a lot of stuff that happens within these games where you have to really think deeper about these things. I don't think a lot of people that are against games these days recognize that it's not just about small Italian plumber man jumping on Goombas. They promote violence and, and killing people. And that's something that is really interesting to talk about now, isn't it? Because here's my thoughts on this. Okay. This is after I discussed this with uh, my mother, who is a Christian counselor or was a Christian counselor. She does psychological research now. And we've had many discussions about this. I've had discussions with my friends about this. I've had discussions with small kids about this who have played these kind of games. And the common consensus at the time, like let's say 10 years ago, was that video games would cause a child's mind to want violence more. I distinctly remember the time of Columbine where they blamed Columbine on Call of Duty because they were playing Call of Duty. So they thought these kids want to get up and start playing in real life, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I have not found any information that solidly backs that up. If anything, violent games, while yes, you should definitely be a little bit more careful about how old your kids are when you start playing video like violent video games. My mom didn't let me play violent video games until I was 13. The kids who did play these games, they used it as anger management. They would let their anger out on these ones and zeros behind a screen. And like, sure, it's not the most healthy thing to do, but it's much healthier than letting it out on the people that are actually existent in the real world. Because these kids, like especially these days with games like Doom, violent video games have given kids an outlet, first of all, and teens, I should say, teens especially, first of all, to let out 
any like tension or stress like that's what i do sometimes if i can't get to my punching bag whenever i'm having a rough day which i love my heavy bag i use it first of all for training but if i need to let out some steam it's just a nice place to just let it out if i can't get to it then just like the kids and teenagers i'm out there just just de-stressing with some good old like military combat or something um it's good for stress for stress relief but then it's also good for making friends there's a lot of people who play these games and there's a lot of systems, especially these days. Uh, let's say on PC, they have Discord, which is a, st- a chatting service like Skype, but for people who play games. Uh, you've got Xbox with their party system. PlayStation just got their own party system. When you have all of this, there's now a new level to these games, which is it's a social thing. It's such a accessible form of media And it's a fun form of media. You get to experience stories that are far more immersive than a TV show or movie. And like you were saying, it also is a really good way to connect with people. And I think that's one of the, like, key uh, ways that games are different from other forms of media. Like, yeah, you can connect over a song or a TV show and stuff, but you're not interacting with someone through it. Exactly. Actively. Um, Like you were listing off like how you had uh, played games with people. And I think a lot of people can relate with that. Like growing up, um, I would sit and watch my dad play Skyrim and I would have like, it was some sort of guidebook or something that I would read alongside him and follow the quest that he was doing and be like, uh, you might want to save before you walk into that cave. <laughs> and he'd be like, why? And I'm like, well, do you want, <laughs> like, do you want to know? Cause like sometimes he'd get upset with me if I gave him a spoiler and he'd be like, yeah, I want to know. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, okay. And then like explain what was about to happen. And he'd be like, oh, okay. When I was like a younger teen, I got really into Skylanders, which I played with my dad. Um, which is the whole reason why I got Skylanders because um, it's a game that has uh, little figurines that you put on the portal of power (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. that connects into your Xbox or whatever console you have and takes the data off of the figurine and like puts it into the game and So my dad and I would collect those figurines like that was part of the point of doing that. It wasn't just about playing the game. It was about the fun of trying to find like Wham Shell or um, Boomer was another one of the ones that was really hard to find. Um, And so like we would go to like uh, places that had those figures on sale and like try to find them and so it was just like a relational thing that there's not very many things that are like that um and video games are and i think the way that we can apply this like really strong like if we're going out into a video game broad spectrum sort of thing it's a fantastic tool for evangelism and I don't think people know that. Um, yeah, it's a good way to connect with exa- others. Exactly. And most recently, um, I've been playing a game called Warframe a whole lot. And that same friend that I had discussed before that we talked about physics, 
what uh, Josh? Mm -hmm. He's been playing the game a whole lot too. We just kind of got back into it, and he is usually alone a whole lot these days. So playing games is the only way he can actually interact with his friends now. And I'm one of the only friends that he has that he interacts with. So I try to hang out as much as possible there. But what's funny is while we're playing Warframe, Warframe was one of those games where you just kind of start up the game and then you can just talk about whatever you want and kind of just go into autopilot while you're talking to your friend. Just play the game while you're having a fun conversation. And we go deep into theology. Like we'll talk about the Bible. He now wants me to lead him through the entirety of the Bible from start to finish and just have topics and discussions about it. Mm -hmm. And that's something that nobody has really acknowledged. You can have really, really casual theological discussion when you don't have to look someone in the eye. Mm -hmm. So like, it makes it less confrontational. Exactly. And last year during the 2020 lockdowns, me and my friends, like 10 or 12 of them, like friends and friends of friends, we were so tired of not having a society to go out into because we were stuck in our homes that we made our own society with an economy and politicians and government in Minecraft. We built a city from scratch in survival mode and then just started up a whole economy, sewer system, all of that. It was awesome. And there were many nights where we would start just talking about Christianity, what we agree with, what we don't agree with. It was all very fair. But the fact of the matter is video games do this amazing thing where it automatically calms your mind and it can do a really good job of making conversations civil now that's not the same for everybody there are people who get ridiculously mad at games and those are the kind of people that or who just stress yeah and those are the kind of I'm people i'm kind of one of those people <laughs> depending on the game of course not all games are for everyone and not all games just not all people are supposed to play games if you're a parent you need to make sure you're watching what your kid is playing. You got to make sure that your kid is okay to play games because it is fine for your kid to not play games. You don't need to match any modern trend that tells you that you need to let your kid play games. Your kid doesn't have to play games. It can be beneficial, but it could be also a really, really bad decision to let them play. It really comes down to what you're observing and you have to be careful about it. Set parameters set barriers like how my mom would only let me play an hour a day and only certain games until i turned a certain age that i could just do whatever i wanted and by that point i had practiced so well that nowadays one person tried to tell me that i was addicted to games because i have an xbox and i have a lot of games on my pc and like <laughs> the top of my pc kind of looks like uh like a whole memoir to halo because it's got like a bunch of figures. Yeah, a lot of figurines. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of Halo figures on top of my PC. So people would try to say that I'm addicted to games, but then they're shocked to hear that usually I go two or three weeks without actually touching a game, and I don't mind it. And it's just because I got used to it. Like I I understand that games are not that important. I'm willing to let them go at any time. I use them so I can stay connected to my friends. So I'd prefer that they stay around because phone calls are awkward and we don't like them. Mm -hmm. Because we prefer to interact with these people. And at some point, you just kind of start putting yourself, like you start projecting into the game. Kind of like how people will say like the sword is an extension of yourself when they're talking about how you should practice the art of the sword. Same thing goes for games. You kind of just feel like you're there. But anyway, with all of that said, it's an important topic as per usual, and this all comes down to your own discernment, like we always say. So if there's anything that makes you feel like you shouldn't be playing games, don't. 
that's as simple as that. Just don't play them. Mm-hmm. We're not change be- the name of the podcast to Collateral Discernment. <laughs> like we're not going to show up under your bed and go, "Why aren't you playing the game?" We told you that it's okay. <laughs> Nevertheless, we hope that you enjoy this episode. We hope that you've had a little bit of fun with how deep these sort of topics can go, uh, yeah. especially this. We're prob- this has been thought provoking. Yeah, we probably will end up touching back on games at some point in the future because this is especially applicable to our current generation. Next week, we're going to be going into the topic of Christian music. Now, I know that we've been saying at the beginning of every at the beginning of every episode that we're going into media that doesn't specifically say the word God and isn't necessarily Christian. But we're going on the reverse here by going into into media that says the name of God, that proclaims his name, but does it wrong. There is Christian media out there that doesn't do it well, and we need to find out why. So next week, we hope that you enjoy that whole segment because it's going to be just a tiny bit controversial. Um, But that's what we do. I feel like you say everything is controversial. Everything is controversial. It's like the song from the Lego movie. Except Everything is controversial. Everything is wrong when you're thinking too much. Everything is controversial. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to come up with a full uh, parody. So, yeah, we'll see you guys next week when we're talking about Christian music. And we hope that you stick around for that one hardcore because that one's going to be very insightful, I feel. So we'll see you guys then. And we hope that you enjoy the rest of your day, afternoon or night. Farewell. Farewell.